0: Isis Audiobooks presents an unabridged recording of The Last Continent, written by Terry Pratchett, read by Nigel Planer. Discworld is a world and a mirror of worlds. This is not a book about Australia, no. It's about somewhere entirely different, which just happens to be, here and there, a bit Australian. Still. No worries, right? Against the stars, a turtle passes, carrying four elephants on its shell. Both turtle and elephants are bigger than people might expect, but out between the stars, the difference between huge and tiny is, comparatively speaking, very small. But this turtle and these elephants are, by turtle and elephant standards, big they carry the disk world with its vast lands, cloudscapes, and oceans. People don't live on the disk any more than, in less handcrafted parts of the multiverse, they live on balls. Oh, planets may be the place where their body eats its tea, but they live elsewhere, in worlds of their own, which orbit very handily around the centre of their heads. When gods get together, they tell the story of one particular planet whose inhabitants watched, with mild interest, huge, continent-wrecking slabs of ice slap into another world which was, in astronomical terms, right next door, and then did nothing about it, because that sort of thing only happens in outer space. An intelligent species would at least have found someone to complain to. Anyway, no one seriously believes in that story, because a race quite that stupid would never even have discovered Sleud. Much easier to discover than fire, and only slightly harder to discover than water. People believe in all sorts of other things, though. For example, there are some people who have a legend that the whole universe is carried in a leather bag by an old man. They're right, too. Other people say, hold on, if he's carrying the entire universe in a sack, right, that means he's carrying himself and the sack inside the sack, because the universe contains everything, including him and the sack, of course, which contains him and the sack already, as it were. To which the reply is, Well... All tribal myths are true, for a given value of true. It is a general test of the omnipotence of a god that they can see the fall of a tiny bird, but only one god makes notes and a few adjustments, so that next time it can fall faster and further. We may find out why. We may find out why mankind is here, although that is more complicated and begs the question, where else should we be? It would be terrible to think that some impatient deity might part the clouds and say, Damn, are you lot still here? I thought you discovered Slood ten thousand years ago. I've got ten trillion tons of ice arriving on Monday. We may even find out why the duck-billed platypus... Not why it is anything, just why it is. Snow, thick and wet, tumbled onto the lawns and roofs of Unseen University, the Discworld's premier college of magic. It was sticky snow, which made the place look like some sort of expensive yet tasteless ornament, and it caked around the boots of macabre, the head Bledlow, as he trudged through the cold, wild night. A Bledlow is a cross between a porter and a proctor. A Bledlow is not chosen for his imagination because he usually doesn't have any. Two other Bledlows stepped out of the lee of a buttress and fell in behind him on a solemn march towards the main gates. It was an old custom, centuries old, and in the summer a few tourists would hang around to watch it, but the ceremony of the keys went on every night in every season. Mere ice, wind and snow had never stopped it. Bledlow's, in times gone past, had clambered over tentacled monstrosities to do the ceremony. They'd waded through floodwater, flailed with their bowler hats at errant pigeons, harpies and dragons, and ignored mere faculty members who'd thrown open their bedroom windows and screamed imprecations along the lines of, Stop that damned racket, will you? What's the point? They'd never stopped, or even thought of stopping. You couldn't stop tradition. You could only add to it. The three men reached the shadows by the main gate, almost blotted out in the whirling snow. The Bledlow on duty was waiting for them. "'Halt! Who goes there?' he shouted. Macabre saluted. "'The Arch-Chancellor's keys!' "'Pass the Arch-Chancellor's keys!' The head Bledlow took a step forward, extended both arms in front of him with his palms bent back towards him and patted his chest at the place where some Bledlow long buried had once had two breast pockets. Pat, pat. Then he extended his arms by his sides and stiffly patted the sides of his jacket. Pat, pat. Damn! Could have sworn I had them a moment ago, he bellowed, enunciating each word with a sort of bulldog carefulness. The gatekeeper saluted. Macabre saluted. "'Have you looked in all your pockets?' Macabre saluted. The gatekeeper saluted. A small pyramid of snow was building up on his bowler hat. "'I think I must have left them on the dresser. "'It's always the same, isn't it? "'You should remember where you put them down.' ''Hang on, perhaps they're in my other jacket?'' The young Bledlow, who was this week's keeper of the other jacket, stepped forward. Each man saluted the other two. The youngest cleared his throat and managed to say, ''No, I looked in there this morning.'' Macabre gave him a slight nod to acknowledge a difficult job well done and patted his pockets again. Hold on, stone the crows, they were in this pocket after all. What a muggins I am. Don't worry, I do the same myself. Is my face red? Forget my own head next. Somewhere in the darkness, a window creaked up. "'Er, uh, excuse me, gentlemen, here's the keys, then,' said Macabre, raising his voice. "'Much obliged!' "'I, I, I wonder if you could, um,' the querulous voice went on, apologising for even thinking of complaining. "'All safe and secure,' shouted the gatekeeper, handing the keys back. Um, I, 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 uh, "'Perhaps keep it down a little.' "'God's bless all present!' "'Screamed Macabre, veins standing out on his thick crimson neck. "'Careful where you put them this time! Ha, ha, ha!' "'Ho, ho, ho!' yelled Macabre, beside himself with fury. "'He saluted stiffly, went about turn with an unnecessarily large amount of foot stamping, "'and the ancient exchange completed, "'marched back to the Bledlow's Lodge muttering under his breath.' The window of the university's little sanatorium shut again. That man really makes me want to swear, said the bursar. He fumbled in his pocket and produced his little green box of dried frog pills, spilling a few as he fumbled with the lid. I've sent him no end of memos. He says it's traditional, but I don't know. He's so he's so boisterous about it. He blew his nose. How's he doing? Not good, "'said the dean. "'The librarian was very, very ill. "'Snow plastered itself against the closed window. "'There was a heap of blankets in front of the roaring fire. "'Occasionally it shuddered a bit. "'The wizards watched it with concern. "'The lecturer in recent runes "'was feverishly turning over the pages of a book. "'I mean, how do we know if it's old age or not?' he said. "'What's old age for an orangutan?' And he's a wizard, and he spends all his time in the library, all that magic radiation the whole time. Somehow the flu is attacking his morphic field, but it could be caused by anything. The librarian sneezed and changed shape. The wizards looked sadly at what appeared very much like a comfortable armchair, which someone had for some reason upholstered in red fur. What can we do for him? said Ponder Stibbons, the faculty's youngest member. Eh, he, he, "'He might feel happier with some cushions,' said Ridcully. "'Slightly bad taste, Arch-Chancellor, I feel.' "'What? Everyone likes some, some comfy cushions "'when they're feeling a little under the weather, don't they?' said the man to whom sickness was a mystery. "'He was at table this morning. "'Mahogany, I believe. "'He seems to be able to retain his colour, at least.' The lecturer in recent runes closed the book with a sigh. "'He certainly lost control of his morphic function,' he said. "'It's not surprising, I suppose. Once it's been changed, it'll change again much more easily, I'm afraid. A well-known fact.' He looked at the Arch-Chancellor's frozen grin and sighed. Mustrum Ridcully was notorious for not trying to understand things if there was anyone around to do it for him. "'It's quite hard to change the shape of a living thing, "'but once it's been done, it's a lot easier to do it next time,' he translated. Uh, "'Say again? "'He was a human before he was an ape, Arch-Chancellor, remember?' "'Oh, yes,' said Ridcully. "'Funny, really, the way you get used to uh, things. "'Apes and humans are related, according to young Ponder, (laughs) Here, "'The other wizards looked blank.' "'Ponder screwed up his face. "'He's been showing me some of the invisible writings,' said Ridcully. "'Fascinating stuff!' "'The other wizards scowled at Ponder Stibbons, "'as you would at a man who'd been caught smoking in a firework factory. "'So now they knew who to blame, as usual. "'Is that entirely wise, sir?' said the dean.' Well, I, I I do happen to be the Arch Chancellor in these parts, Dean, said Ridcully, calmly. A blindly obvious fact, Arch Chancellor, said the Dean. You could have cut cheese with his tone. Must take an interest, morale, you know, said Ridcully. My door is always open. I see myself as a as a member of the team. Ponder winced again. I don't think I'm related to any apes, said the senior wrangler thoughtfully. I mean, I'd know, wouldn't I? I'd get invited to their weddings and so on. My parents would have said something like, don't worry about Uncle Charlie, he's supposed to smell like that, wouldn't they? And there'd be portraits in... um... The chair sneezed. There was an unpleasant moment of morphic uncertainty, and then the librarian was sprawling in his old shape again. The wizards watched him carefully to see what had happened next. It was hard to remember the time when the librarian had been a human being. Certainly no one could remember what he'd looked like, or even what his name had been. A magical explosion, always a possibility in somewhere like the library, where so many unstable books of magic are pressed dangerously together, had introduced him to unexpected apehood years before. Since then, he'd never looked back, and often hadn't looked down either. His big hairy shape, swinging by one arm from a top shelf while he rearranged books with his feet, had become a popular one among the whole university body. His devotion to duty had been an example to everyone. Arch-Chancellor Ridcully, into whose head that last sentence had treacherously arranged itself, realised that he was unconsciously drafting an obituary. ''Anyone called in a doctor?'' he said. ''We got Donut Jimmy here this afternoon,'' said the dean. Ankh-Morpork's leading vet, generally called in by people faced with ailments too serious to be trusted to the general medical profession. Donut's one blind spot was his tendency to assume that every patient was, to a greater or lesser extent, a racehorse.'' He tried to take his temperature, but I'm afraid the librarian bit him. He bit him? With a thermometer in his mouth? Ah, not exactly. There, in fact, you have rather discovered the reason for his biting. There was a moment of solemn silence. The senior wrangler picked up a limp black leather paw and patted it vaguely. "'Does that book say if monkeys have pulses?' he said. "'Is his nose supposed to be cold, or what?' "'There was a little sound such as might be made by half a dozen people "'all sharply drawing in their breath at once. "'The other wizards began to edge away from their senior wrangler. "'There was for a few seconds no other sound "'but the crackling of the fire and the howl of the wind outside. "'The wizards shuffled back.' The senior wrangler, in the astonished tones of someone still possessing all-known limbs, very slowly took off his pointy hat. This was something a wizard would normally do only in the most sombre of circumstances. "'Well, that's it, then,' he said. "'Poor chap's on his way home, back to the big desert in the sky.' "'Er, uh, or rainforest, possibly,' said Ponder Stibbons. Maybe Mrs. Whitlow could make him some hot, nourishing soup, said the lecturer in recent runes. Arch-Chancellor Ridcully thought about the housekeeper's hot, nourishing soup. "Uh, "'Kill or cure, I suppose,' he murmured. He patted the librarian carefully. "Uh, "'Back up, old chap,' he said. "'Soon mm, have you back on your feet and and continuing to make a, a, a valued contribution.' "'Knuckles!' "'said the dean helpfully. "'Say again? Uh, "'Knuckles rather than feet.' "'Casters,' said the lecturer in recent rooms. "'Bad taste, that man,' said the Arch-Chancellor. "'They wandered out of the room. "'From the corridor came their retreating voices. "'Looked very pale around the antimacassar. I thought. "'Surely there's some sort of cure. "'The old place won't be the same without him.' ''Definitely one of a kind!'' When they'd gone, the librarian reached up cautiously, pulled a piece of blanket over his head, cuddled his hot water bottle and sneezed. Now there were two hot water bottles, one of them a lot bigger than the other and with a teddy bear cover in red fur. Light travels slowly on the disc and is slightly heavy, with a tendency to pile up against high mountain ranges. Research wizards have speculated that there is another much speedier type of light which allows the slower light to be seen, but since this moves too fast to see, they've been unable to find a use for it. This does mean that, despite the disc being flat, everywhere does not experience the same time, at for want of a better term, the same time. When it was so late at night in Ankh-Morpork that it was early in the morning, elsewhere it was... But there were no hours here. There was dawn and dusk, morning and afternoon, and presumably there was midnight and midday, but mainly there was heat and redness. Something as artificial and human as an hour wouldn't last five minutes here. It would be dried out and shriveled up in seconds. Above all, there was silence. It was not the chilly, bleak silence of endless space— but the burning, organic silence you get when across a thousand miles of shimmering red horizons everything is too tired to make a sound. But as the ear of observation panned across the desert, it picked up something like a chant, a reedy little litany that beat against the all-embracing silence, like a fly bumping against the windowpane of the universe. The rather breathless chanter was lost to view because he was standing in a hole dug in the red earth. Occasionally some earth was thrown up on the heap behind him. A stained and battered pointy hat bobbed about in time with the tuneless tune. The word wizard had perhaps once been embroidered on it in sequins. They had fallen off, but the word was still there in brighter red where the hat's original colour showed through. Several dozen small flies orbited it. The words went something like this. "'Grubs. That's what we're going to eat. "'That's why they call it grub. "'And what are we going to do to get the grub? "'Why, we're grubbing for it. Hooray!' Another shovelful of earth arced onto the heap, and the voice said, rather more quietly, "'I wonder if you can eat flies?' They say the heat and the flies here can drive a man insane. But you don't have to believe that, and nor does that bright mauve elephant that just cycled past. Strangely enough, the madman in the hole was the only person currently on the continent who might throw any kind of light on a small drama being enacted a thousand miles away and several metres below, where the opal miner, known only to his mates as Struth, was about to make the most valuable yet dangerous discovery of his career. Struth's pick... "'knocked aside the rock and dust of millennia "'and something gleamed in the candlelight. "'It was green, like frosty green fire. "'Carefully, his mind suddenly as frozen as the light under his fingers, "'he picked away at the loose rock. "'The opal picked up and reflected more and more light onto his face "'as the debris fell away. "'There seemed to be no end to the glow. "'Finally, he let his breath out in one go.' "'Struth!' "'If he'd found a little piece of green opal, say, about the size of a bean, "'he'd have called his mates over and they'd have knocked off for a few beers. "'A piece the size of his fist would have had him pounding the floor. "'But with this, he was still standing there brushing it gently with his fingers "'when the other miners noticed the light and hurried over. "'At least, they started out hurrying. "'As they came closer, they slowed to a kind of reverential walk.' No one said anything for a moment. The green light shone on their faces. Then one of the men whispered, "'Good on you, Struth. "'There isn't enough money in all the world, mate. "'Watch out, it might just be a glaze. "'Still worth a mint. "'Go on, Struth, get it out.' They watched like cats, as the pick pried loose more and more rock and found an edge, and another edge. Now Struth's fingers began to shake. Careful, mate, there's a side of it. The men took a step back as the last of the obscuring earth was knocked away. The thing was oblong, although the bottom edge was a confusion of twisted opal and dirt. Struth reversed his pick and laid the wooden handle against the glowing crystal. Struth, it's no good, he said. I just got to know. He tapped the rock. It echoed. "'Can't be hollow, can it?' said one of the miners. "'Never heard of that.' Struth picked up a crowbar. "'Right, let's—' There was a faint plink. A large piece of opal broke away near the bottom. It turned out to be no thicker than a plate. It revealed a couple of toes, which moved very slowly inside their iridescent shell. Ah, oh, Struth!' said a miner as they backed further away. It's alive! Ponder knew he should never have let Ridcully look at the invisible writings. Wasn't it a basic principle never to let your employer know what it is you actually do all day? But no matter what precautions you took, sooner or later the boss was bound to come in and poke around and say things like, Is this where you work, then? And... "'I thought I sent a memo out about people bringing in potted plants. "'And what you call that thing with the keyboard?' "'And this had been particularly problematical for Ponder, "'because reading the invisible writings was a delicate and meticulous job "'suited to the kind of temperament that follows Grand Prix continental drift "'and keeps Bonsai Mountains as a hobby, or even drives a Volvo. "'It needed painstaking care.' It needed a mind that could enjoy doing jigsaw puzzles in a dark room. It did not need Mustrum Ridcully. The hypothesis behind Invisible Writings was laughably complicated. All books are tenuously connected through L-space, and therefore the content of any book ever written or yet to be written may, in the right circumstances, be deduced from a sufficiently close study of books already in existence. Future books exist in potentia, as it were, in the same way that a sufficiently detailed study of a handful of primal ooze will eventually hint at the future existence of prawn crackers. But the primitive techniques used hitherto, based on ancient spells like Cake's unreliable algorithm, had meant that it took years to put together even the ghost of a page of an unwritten book. It was Ponder's particular genius that he had found a way around this by considering the phrase, How do you know it's not possible until you've tried? And experiments with HEX, the university's thinking engine, had found that indeed many things are not impossible until they have been tried. Like a busy government, which only passes expensive laws prohibiting some new and interesting thing when people have actually found a way of doing it, The universe relied a great deal on things not being tried at all. When something is tried, Ponder found, it often does turn out to be impossible very quickly. But it takes a little while for this to really be the case. In effect, for the overworked laws of causality to hurry to the scene and pretend it has been impossible all along. In the case of cold fusion, this was longer than usual. Using Hex to remake the attempt in minutely different ways at very high speed had resulted in a high success rate, and he was now assembling whole paragraphs in a matter of hours. it, it "'It's like a conjuring trick, then,' Ridcully had said. "'You're pulling the tablecloth away before all, all, all the crockery has time to remember to fall over.' And Ponder had winced and said, "'Yes, exactly like that, Arch-Chancellor. "'Well done.' "'And that had led to all the trouble with "'how to dynamically manage people for dynamic results "'in a caring, empowering way in quite a short time dynamically. "'Ponder didn't know when this book would be written, "'or even in which world it might be published, "'but it was obviously going to be popular "'because random trawls in the depths of L-Space "'often turned up fragments.' Perhaps it wasn't even just one book. And the fragments had been on Ponder's desk when Ridcully had been poking around. Unfortunately, like many people who are instinctively bad at something, the Arch-Chancellor prided himself on how good at it he was. Ridcully was to management what King Herod was to the Bethlehem Playgroup Association. His mental approach to it could be visualised as a sort of business flowchart, with at the top a circle entitled, Me Who Does the Telling? and connected below it by a line, a large circle entitled, Everyone Else. Until now, this had worked quite well, because although Ridcully was an impossible manager, the university was impossible to manage, and so everything worked seamlessly and it would have continued to do so if he hadn't suddenly started to see the point in preparing career development packages, and worst of all, job descriptions. As the lecturer in recent rooms put it, he called me in and asked me what I did. Exactly. Have you ever heard of such a thing? What sort of a question is that? This is a university. He asked me whether I had any... "'Personal worries,' said the senior wrangler. "'I don't see why I have to stand for that sort of thing.' "'And did you see that sign on his desk?' the dean had said. "'You mean the one that says, "'The buck starts here?' "'No, the other one, the one which says, "'When you're up to your arse in alligators, "'today is the first day of the rest of your life.' "'And uh, that means I don't think it's supposed to mean anything. "'I think it's just supposed to be.' Be what? Proactive, I think. It's a word he's using a lot. Oh, what does that mean? Well, in favor of activity, I suppose. Really, dangerous. In my experience, inactivity sees you through. Altogether, it was not a happy university at the moment, and meal times were the worst. Ponder tended to be isolated at one end of the high table, as the unwilling architect of this sudden tendency on the part of the Arch-Chancellor to try to weld them into a lean, mean team. The wizards had no intention of being lean, but were getting as mean as anything. On top of that, Ridcully's sudden interest in taking an interest meant that Ponder had to explain something about his own current project... And one aspect of Ridcully that had not changed was his horrible habit of, Ponder suspected, deliberately misunderstanding things. Ponder had long been struck by the fact that the librarian, an ape, at least generally an ape, although this evening he seemed to have settled on being a small table set with a red-furred tea service, was, well, so human-shaped. In fact, so many things were pretty much the same shape. Nearly everything you met was really a sort of... complicated tube with two eyes and forearms or legs or wings. Oh, or they were fish. Or insects. All right. Spiders as well. And a few odd things like starfish and whelks. But still, there was a remarkably unimaginative range of designs. Where were the six-armed, six-eyed monkeys pinwheeling through the jungle canopy? Oh yes, octopuses too, but that was the point. They were really only a kind of underwater spider. Ponder had poked around among the university's more or less abandoned museum of quite unusual things, and noticed something rather odd. Whoever had designed the skeletons of creatures had even less imagination than whoever had done the outsides. At least the outside designer had tried a few novelties in the spots, the wool and stripes department... But the bone builder had generally just put a skull on a rib cage, shoved a pelvis in further along, stuck on some arms and legs, and had the rest of the day off. Some rib cages were longer, some legs were shorter, some hands became wings, but they all seemed to be based on one design, one size stretched or shrunk to fit all. Not to his very great surprise, Ponder seemed to be the only one around who found this at all interesting. He'd point out to people that fish were amazingly fish-shaped, and they look at him as if he'd gone mad. Paleontology and archaeology and other skullduggery were not subjects that interested wizards. Things are buried for a reason, they considered. There's no point in wondering what it was. Don't go digging up things in case they won't let you bury them again. The most coherent theory was one he recalled from his nurse when he was small. "'Monkeys,' she'd averred, "'were bad little boys who hadn't come in when called, "'and seals were bad little boys who'd lazed around on the beach "'instead of attending to their lessons. "'She hadn't said that birds were bad little boys "'who'd gone too close to the cliff edge, "'and in any case jellyfish would be more likely, "'but Ponder couldn't help thinking that, "'harmlessly insane though the woman had been, "'she might have had just the glimmerings of a point.' He was spending most nights now watching Hex trawl the invisible writings for any hints. In theory, because of the nature of L-space, absolutely everything was available to him, but that only meant that it was more or less impossible to find whatever it was you were looking for, which is the purpose of computers. Ponder Stibbons was one of those unfortunate people cursed with the belief that if only he found out enough things about the universe, it would all somehow make sense. The goal is the theory of everything. But Ponder would settle for the theory of something, and late at night, when Hex appeared to be sulking, he despaired of even a theory of anything. And it might have surprised Ponder to learn that the senior wizards had come to approve of Hex, despite all the comments on the lines of, "'In my day, we used to do our own thinking,' Wizardry was traditionally competitive, and while Yu Yu was currently going through an extended period of peace and quiet, with none of the informal murders that had once made it such a terminally exciting place, a senior wizard always distrusted a young man who was going places since traditionally his route might be via your jugular. Therefore, there's something comforting in knowing that some of the best brains in the university who a generation ago would be coming up with some really exciting plans involving trick floorboards and exploding wallpaper were spending all night in the high-energy magic building trying to teach Hex to sing Lydia the Tattooed Lady, exulting at getting a machine to do after six hours' work something that any human off the street would do for tuppence, then sending out for banana and sushi pizza and falling asleep at the keyboard. Their seniors called it technomancy and slept a little easier in their beds in the knowledge that Ponder and his students weren't sleeping in theirs. Ponder must have nodded off because he was awakened just before 2am by a scream and realised he was face down in half of his supper. He pulled a piece of banana-flavoured mackerel off his cheek, left Hex quietly clicking through its routine and followed the noises. The commotion led him to the hall in front of the big doors leading to the library. The bursar was lying on the floor, being fanned with the senior wrangler's hat. "'As far as we can gather, Arch-Chancellor,' said the dean, "'the poor chap couldn't sleep and came down for a book.' Ponder looked at the library doors. A big strip of black and yellow tape had been stuck across them, along with a sign saying, "'Danger, do not enter in any circumstances.' It was now hanging off, and the doors were ajar. This was no surprise. Any true wizard faced with a sign like, ''Do not open this door. Really, we mean it. We are not kidding. Opening this door will mean the end of the universe.'' Would automatically open the door in order to see what all the fuss was about. This made signs rather a waste of time. But at least it meant that when you handed what was left of the wizard to his grieving relatives, you could say, as they grasped the jar, ''We told him not to.'' There was a silence from the darkness on the other side of the doorway. Ridcully extended a finger and pushed one door slightly. Behind it, something made a fluttering noise, and the doors were slammed shut. The wizards jumped back. "'Don't risk it, Archchancellor,' said the Chair of Indefinite Studies. "'I tried to go in earlier, and the whole section of critical essays had gone critical.' Blue light flickered under the doors. Elsewhere, someone might have said, ''It's just books. Books aren't dangerous.'' But even ordinary books are dangerous, and not only the ones like ''Make Jelly Ignite the Professional Way.'' A man sits in some museum somewhere and writes a harmless book about political economy, and suddenly thousands of people who haven't even read it are dying because the ones who did haven't got the joke. Knowledge is dangerous.'' which is why governments often clamp down on people who can think thoughts above a certain calibre. And the Unseen University Library was a magical library built on a very thin patch of space-time. There were books on distant shelves that hadn't been written yet, books that never would be written, at least not here. It had a circumference of a few hundred yards, but there was no known limit to its radius. And in a magical library the books leak and learn from one another, ''They've started attacking anyone who goes in,'' moaned the dean. ''No one can control them when the librarian's not here.'' ''But but we're a university. We, we, we have to have a library,'' said Ridcully. ''It adds tone. What sort of people would we be if we didn't go into the library?'' ''Students,'' said the senior wrangler morosely. Mm, ''I remember when I was a student.'' "'said the lecturer in recent rooms. "'Old bogey-boy Swallet took us on an expedition "'to find the lost reading-room. Three weeks we were wandering around. "'Had to eat our own boots.' "'Did you find it?' said the dean. "'No, but we found the remains of the previous year's expedition.' "'What did you do?' "'We ate their boots, too.' "'From beyond the door came a flapping as of leather covers.' ''There's some pretty vicious grimoires in there,'' said the senior wrangler. ''They can take a man's arm right off.'' ''Yes, but at least they don't know about door handles,'' said the dean. ''They do if there's a book in there somewhere called door Knobs for Beginners,'' said the senior wrangler. ''They read each other.'' The arch-chancellor glanced at Ponder. ''There likely to be a, a book like that in there, Stubbins?'' "'According to l theory, it's practically certain, sir.' "'As one man, the wizards backed away from the doors. Well, we, we, we can't let this nonsense go on,' said Ridcully. "'We've got to cure the librarian. It, "'It's a magical illness, so we ought to be able to cook up a magical cure. "'Oughtn't we?' "'That would be exceedingly dangerous, Arch-Chancellor.' "'said the dean. "'His whole system is a mess of conflicting magical influences. "'There's no knowing what adding more magic would do. "'He's already got a free-wheeling temporal gland. "'Wizards are certain of the existence of the temporal gland, "'although not even the most invasive alchemist "'has ever found where it is located, "'and current theory is that it has a non-corporeal existence, "'like a sort of ethereal appendix.' It keeps track of how old your body is and is so susceptible to the influence of a high magical field that it might even work in reverse, absorbing the body's normal supplies of chrononine. The alchemists say it is the key to immortality, but they say that about orange juice, crusty bread, and drinking your own urine. An alchemist would cut his own head off if he thought it would make him live longer. Any more magic and, well, I don't know what'll happen... We'll find out, said Ridcully brusquely. We need to be able to go into the library. We'd be doing this for the college, Dean. An unseen university is is, is bigger than one man. Ape. Thank you, thank you. Ape. And we must always remember that I is the smallest letter in, in the alphabet. There was another thud from beyond the doors. ''Actually,'' said the senior wrangler, ''I think you'll find that depending on the font, C, or even U, are in fact even smaller. Well, shorter, anyway.'' ''Of course,'' Ridcully went on, ignoring this as part of the university's usual background logic. ''I suppose I I could appoint another librarian.'' Got to be a senior chap who knows his way around. Hmm. Now let me see. Do any names spring to mind, Dean? All right, all right, said the Dean. Have it your own way, as usual. Er, uh, we, 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 we can't do it, sir, Ponder ventured. Oh, said Ridcully. Volunteering for a bit of bookshelf tidying yourself, are you? "'I mean, we really can't use magic to change him, sir. "'There's a huge problem in the way.' "'There are no problems, Mr. Stibbons. "'There are only opportunities.' "'Yes, sir, and the opportunity here is to find out the librarian's name.' There was a buzz of agreement from the other wizards. "'The lad's right,' said the lecturer in recent rooms. "'Can't magic a wizard without knowing his name. Hmm. Hmm. "'Basic rule.' "'Well, we call him the Librarian,' said Ridcully. "'Everyone calls him the Librarian. Won't that do?' "'That's just a job description, sir.' Ridcully looked at his wizards. Uh, "'One of us must know his name, surely? "'Good grief, I should hope we at least know our colleagues' names. "'Isn't that so?' "'He looked at the Dean, hesitated, and then said, "'Dean?' "'He's been an ape for quite a while, Arch-Chancellor,' said the Dean. "'Most of his original colleagues have have passed on, "'gone to the great big dinner in the sky. "'We were going through one of those periods of Dois de Mortis. "'Broadly speaking, the acceleration of a wizard through the ranks of wizardry "'by killing off more senior wizards.' It is a practice currently in abeyance, since a few enthusiastic attempts to remove Mustrum Ridcully resulted in one wizard being unable to hear properly for two weeks. Ridcully felt that there was indeed room at the top, and he was occupying all of it. Yes, but he's got to be in the records somewhere. The wizards thought about the great cliffs of stacked paper that constituted the university's records. "'The archivist has never found him,' said the lecturer in recent rooms. "'Who's the archivist?' "'The librarian, arch "'Then at least he ought to be in the yearbook for the year he graduated.' "'It's a very funny thing,' said the dean, "'but a freak accident appears to have happened to every single copy of the yearbook for that year.' "'Ridcully noted his wooden expression.' "'Would it be an accident like a particular page being torn out, "'leaving only a lingering, bananery aroma?' "'Lucky guess, Arch-Chancellor.' "'Ridcully scratched his chin. "'Hmm. A pattern emerges,' he said. "'You see, he's always been dead-set against anyone finding out his name,' "'said the senior wrangler. "'He's afraid we'll try to turn him back into a human.' He looked meaningfully at the dean, who put on an offended expression. Some people have been going around saying that an ape as librarian is unsuitable. I merely express the view that it is against the traditions of the university, the dean began. Which consist largely of niggling, big dinners, and shouting damn fool things about keys in the middle of the night, said Ridcully. So I don't think we... The expressions on the faces of the other wizards made him turn around. The librarian had entered the hall. He walked very slowly because of the amount of clothing he'd put on. The sheer volume of coats and sweaters meant that his arms, instead of being used as extra feet, were sticking out very nearly horizontally on either side of his body. But the most horrifying aspect of the shuffling apparition was the red woolly hat. It was jolly, It had a bobble on it. It had been knitted by Mrs. Whitlow, who was technically an extremely good needlewoman, but if she had a fault it lay in failing to take account of the precise dimensions of the intended recipient. Several wizards had on occasion been presented with one of her creations, which often assumed they had three ankles, or a neck two metres across. Most of the things were surreptitiously given away to charitable institutions— you can say this about Aunt morpork no matter how misshapen a garment, there will always be someone, somewhere, it would fit. Mrs Whitlow's mistake here was the assumption that the librarian, for whom she had considerable respect, would like a red bobble hat with side flaps that tied under his chin. Given that this would technically require that they be tied under his groin, he'd opted to let them flap loose. He turned a sad face towards the wizards as he stopped outside the library door, He reached for the handle. He said, in a very weak voice, "Ook," and then sneezed. The pile of clothing settled. When the wizards pulled it away, they found underneath a very large, thick book bound in hairy red leather. Says ook on the cover, said the senior wrangler after a while in a rather strained voice. Does it say who it's by, said the dean? "'Bad taste, that man!' "'I meant that maybe it'd be his real name.' "'Can we look inside?' said the Chair of Indefinite Studies. "'There may be an index.' "'Any, um, any volunteers to look inside the librarian?' said Ridcully. "'Don't all shout.' ''The morphic instability responds to the environment,'' said Ponder. ''Isn't that interesting? He's near the library, so it turns him into a book. ''Sort of protective camouflage, you could say. ''It's as if he evolves to fit in with...'' ''Thank you, Mr Stibbons. And is there a point to this?'' ''Well, I assume we can look inside,'' said Ponder. ''A book is meant to be opened. Uh, There's even a black leather bookmark. See?'' "'Oh, that's a bookmark, is it?' said the Chair of Indefinite Studies, who had been watching it nervously. Ponder touched the book. It was warm, and it opened easily enough. Every page was covered with ook. "'Good dialogue, but the plot is a little dull. "'Dean, I'd be obliged if you'd take this seriously, please,' said Ridcully. He tapped his foot once or twice.' Anyone got any more ideas? The wizards stared at one another and shrugged. I suppose, said the lecturer in recent runes, yes, runes? Arnold, isn't it? No, Arch-Chancellor. Well, out with it anyway. I suppose. Um, I, I know this sounds ridiculous, but go on, man, we're almost all agog. I suppose there's always... <clears throat> Rincewind? Ridcully stared at him for a moment. Uh, Skinny fella, scruffy beard, bloody useless wizard. Got that box-on-legs thingy? That's right, Arch-Chancellor. Well done. Uh, He was the Deputy Librarian for a while, as I expect you remember. Mm, Not really, but do go on, he said. In fact, he was here... When the librarian became the librarian, and I remember once, when we were watching the librarian stamping four books all at the same time, he said, amazing really, when you think he was born in Ankh-Morpork. I'm sure if anyone knows the name of the librarian, it's Rincewind. Well, 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 go and fetch him then. I suppose you do know where he is, do you? ''Technically, yes, Arch-Chancellor,'' said Ponder quickly, ''but we're not sure quite where the place where he is... ''is, if you follow me.'' Ridcully gave him another stare. ''You see, we think he's on XXXX, Arch-Chancellor,'' said Ponder. X, X. ''XX, Arch-Chancellor.'' ''I thought no-one knew where that place was,'' said Ridcully. ''Exactly, Arch-Chancellor,'' said Ponder.'' Sometimes you had to turn facts in several directions until you found the right way to fit them into Cully's head. Sometimes Ponder thought his skill with Hex was because Hex was very clever and very stupid at the same time. If you wanted it to understand something, you had to break the idea down into bite-sized pieces and make absolutely sure there was no room for any misunderstanding. The quiet hours with Hex were often a picnic after five minutes with the senior wizards. What's he doing there? We don't really know, Arch-Chancellor. If you remember, we believe he ended up there after that Agatean business. But what did he want to go there for? I don't think he actually wanted to, said Ponder. Um, we sent him. It was a trivial error in bilocational thaumaturgy that anyone could make. But, but... "'But you made it, as I recall,' said Ridcully, whose memory could spring nasty surprises like that. "'I am a member of the team, sir,' said Ponder pointedly. "'Well, if he doesn't want to be there, and we need him here, let's bring him back!' The rest of the sentence was drowned out, not by a noise, but by a sort of bloom of quietness, which rolled over the wizards and was so oppressive and soft that they couldn't even hear their own heartbeats.' Old Tom, the university's magical and tongueless bell, told out two AM by striking the silences. Um, said Ponder, it's not as simple as that. Ridcully blinked. Why not? he said. Bring him back by magic. We sent him there. We can bring him back. Um it'd take months to set it up properly. If you want him back right here, said Ponder, If we get it wrong, he'll end up arriving in a circle 50 feet wide. That's not a problem, is it? If we keep out of it, he can land anywhere. I don't think you quite understand, sir. The signal-to-noise ratio of any phthalmic transfer over an uncertain distance coupled with the disc's own spin will almost certainly result in a practical averaging of the arriving subject over an area of a couple of a thousand square feet, at least sir. Say again? Ponder took a deep breath. I mean, he'll end up arriving as a circle, fifty feet wide. Ah, so, he probably wouldn't be very good in the library after that, then. Only as a very large bookmark, sir. All right, then. It's down to sheer geography. Who've we got who knows anything about geography? The miners emerged from the vertical shaft like ants leaving a burning nest. There were thumps and thuds from below, and at one point Struth's hat shot up into the air, turned over a few times, and dropped back. There was silence for a while, and then bits cracking off it like errant pieces of shell on a newly hatched chick, the thing pulled itself out of the shaft and looked around it. The miners. Crouched behind various bushes and sheds, were quite certain of this, even though the monster had no visible eyes. It turned its hundreds of little legs, moving rather stiffly, as if they'd spent too much time buried in the ground. Then, weaving slightly, it set off. And far away in the shimmering red desert, the man in the pointy hat climbed carefully out of his hole. He held in both hands a bowl made of bark. It contained... Lots of vitamins, valuable protein and essential fats. See? No mention of wriggling at all. A fire was smouldering a little way away. He put the bowl down carefully and picked up a large stick, stood quietly for a moment and then suddenly began to hop around the fire, smacking the ground with a stick and shouting, Ha! When the ground had been subdued to his apparent satisfaction, he whacked at the bushes as if they had personally offended him and bashed a couple of trees as well. Finally, he advanced on a couple of flat rocks, lifted up each one in turn, averted his eyes and shouted, Ha! again, and flailed blindly at the ground beneath. The landscape having been acceptably pacified, he sat down to eat his supper before it escaped. It tasted a little like chicken. When you're hungry enough, practically anything can. And eyes watched him from the nearby waterhole. They were not the tiny eyes of the swarming beetles and tadpoles that made a careful examination of every handful he drank a vital gastronomic precaution. These were far older eyes, and currently without any physical component. For weeks, a man whose ability to find water was limited to checking if his feet were wet, had survived in this oven-ready country by falling into water holes. A man who thought of spiders as harmless little creatures had experienced only a couple of nasty shocks when, by now, this approach should have left him with arms the size of beer barrels that glowed in the dark. The man had even hit the seashore once and paddled in a little way to look at the pretty blue jellyfish, and it was all the watcher could do to see that he got a mere light sting which ceased to be agonising after only a few days.' "'The waterhole bubbled and the ground trembled "'as if, despite the cloudless sky, there was a storm somewhere. "'Now it was three o'clock in the morning. "'Ridcalay was good at doing without other people's sleep. "'Unseen University was much bigger on the inside. Thousands of years as the leading establishment of practical magic "'in a world where dimensions were largely a matter of chance in any case "'had left it bulging in places where it shouldn't have places.' There were rooms containing rooms, which, if you entered them, turned out to contain the room you'd started with, which can be a problem if you're in a conga line. And because it was so big, it could afford to have an almost unlimited number of staff on the premises. Tenure was automatic, or more accurately, non-existent. You found an empty room, turned up for meals as usual, and generally no one noticed, although if you were unfortunate, you might attract students.' And if you looked hard enough in some of the outlying regions of the university, you could find an expert on anything. You could even find an expert on finding an expert. The professor of recondite architecture and origami map folding had been woken up, been introduced to the Arch-Chancellor, who'd never set eyes on him before, and had produced a map of the university which would probably be accurate for the next few days and looked rather like a chrysanthemum in the act of exploding.' Finally, the wizards reached a door, and Ridcully glared at the brass plate on it as if it had just been cheeky to him. The egregious professor of cruel and unusual geography, he said. This looks like the one. We must have walked miles, said the dean, leaning against the wall. I don't recognise any of this. Ridcully glanced around. The walls were stoned but had at some time been painted in that very special institutional green that you get when an almost finished cup of coffee is left standing for a couple of weeks. There was a board covered in balding and darker green felt on which had been optimistically thumbtacked the word notices. But from the looks of it there had never been any notices and never would be, ever. There was a smell of ancient dinners. Ridd shrugged and knocked on the door. "'I don't remember him,' said the lecturer in recent runes. "'I think I do,' said the dean. "'Not a very promising boy. "'Had ears. "'Hmm. "'Don't often see him around, though. "'Always has a suntan. "'Odd, that.' "'He's on the staff. "'If anyone knows anything about geography, he's our man.' "'Ridcully knocked again. "'Perhaps he's out,' said the dean. "'That's where you mostly get geography. "'Outside.' Rid Cully pointed to a little wooden device by the door. There was one outside every wizard's study. It consisted of a little sliding panel in a frame. Currently, it was revealing the word in and presumably was covering the word out, although you could never be sure with some wizards. The lecturer in creative uncertainty, for example, held rather smugly that he was in a state of both inness and outness until such time as anyone knocked on his door and collapsed the field, and that it was impossible to be categorical before that event. Logic is a wonderful thing, but doesn't always beat actual thought. The dean tried to slide the panel. It refused to budge. "'He must come out sometimes,' said the senior wrangler. "'Besides, sensible men should be in bed at three a.m. "'Yes, indeed,' said the dean meaningfully. "'Ridcully thumped on the door. "'I I, I demand that you open up!' he shouted. "'I am the, the master of this college!' "'The door moved under the blow, but not very much. "'It was blocked by what turned out to be, "'after some strenuous shoving by all the wizards, "'an enormous pile of paperwork. "'The dean picked up a yellowing piece of paper. "'This is the memo saying I've been appointed as dean,' he said. "'That was years ago. "'Surely... "'He must come out sometime,' said the senior wrangler. "'Oh, dear.' "'The same thought had occurred to the other wizards, too. "'Remember poor old Wally Slover,' murmured the Chair of Indefinite Studies, "'looking around in some trepidation. Three years of tutorials post-mortem. "'Well, the students did say he was a bit quiet,' said Ridcully. "'He sniffed. "'Doesn't smell bad in here. "'Quite fresh, really.' "'Pleasantly salty. Aha!' "'There was a bright light under a door "'at the other end of the crowded and dusty room, "'and the wizards could hear a gentle splashing. "'Bath night! Good man!' said Ridcully. "'Well, we don't have to disturb him.' "'He peered at the titles of the books that lined the room. Bound to be a lot about XXXX somewhere here,' he added, "'pulling out a volume at random. "'Come along. One man, one book each.' "'Can we at least send out for some breakfast?' grumbled the dean. "'Far too early for breakfast,' said Ridcully. "'Well, some supper, then. Too late for supper.' The chair of indefinite studies took in the rest of the room. A lizard scuttled across the wall and disappeared. "'A bit of a mess in here, isn't there?' he said, glaring at the place where the lizard had been. "'Everything's very dusty. What's in all these boxes?' "'Says rocks on this side,' said the dean. "'Makes sense. "'If you're going to study the outdoors, do it in the warm.' "'But what about all the fishing nets and coconuts?' "'The dean had to agree the point. "'The study was a mess, "'even by the extremely expansive standards of wizardry. "'Boxes of dusty rocks occupied the little space "'that wasn't covered with books and paper. "'They had been variously labelled, with inscriptions like... Rocks from Lower Down, Other Rocks, Curious Rocks, and Probably Not Rocks. Further boxes to Ponder's rising interest were marked Remarkable Bones, Bones, and Dull Bones.